information break, and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10 minute speaker is Lorraine. Hi, my name is Lorraine. I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is November. <laughs> Don't mind me, <laughs> just having a feeling. <laughs> um, my sobriety date is November 28th, 2010, and the Atlantic Group is my home group. And I was just sitting here smiling, but, you know, I think that I just get, I get a little overwhelmed sometimes, and it's not a bad thing. So, um, the Atlantic Group is my home group uh, since the beginning, and uh, what, did, what did that look like? Well, what I'll say is just tonight, it's been nice to sit here a few minutes ahead of the meeting, and people can talk to each other and see each other, and it's a little bit of a a little bit of a glimpse of what it was like before Zoom, because I would get to the meeting early to have the meeting before the meeting and then hang out to have the meeting after the meeting. And I do miss that. Um, so um, let's see. I, uh, I'm from New Jersey. I'm one of five. I, uh, I came into the rooms at 30. And I say that because I always want to know when someone else is speaking, like, tell me everything. I want the details. Um, I, um, I think I just have to start with right where I am, which is I got locked out today, right before this meeting. And I had had all these plans about how I was going to, what I was going to do before the meeting. And instead I spent that time like sitting on my stoop waiting for my landlord to come home, who answered her phone, uh, and let me in. And I had some actually nice quiet time to look around. And I got to notice that I wasn't panicking. And I wasn't fretting. You know, I was just admiring, you know, it's actually, it's a pretty evening. And I can't say that I got many of those back then. Um, back then, my drinking progressed pretty rapidly. You know, I started drinking. I could not wait to start drinking. I looked ahead to drinking. I looked ahead to everything. I had, when I was younger, in where I'm from, you can drive at 17, and I had like a like a cork board with the dates to cross off until I could drive and until I could go to college. And I had that thing set up from three years before I could drive, just crossing off the days. Because I always just looked ahead and was never right here. Um, <clears throat> It didn't, you know, partying immediately was very exciting. Um, my I had arrived was 100% in like dance nightclubs in the town I went to college in, like strap your shoes to your legs and go out all night, every night um, on the weekend. And, you know, I felt just a complete and total release from all of everything else that was going on. And that became my priority very, very quickly. I <clears throat> I left school because I had to, because um, I couldn't keep up, and I was um, extremely depressed, extremely, extremely depressed. And when I eventually went back, I'd you know been living. Um, that was not time. <laughs> um, I'd been living on nine dollars an hour and drinking a bottle of wine every night. So when I went back to school, I was really glad to be there and I doubled down. 
and I had a few years of working after school where it kind of looked okay on the outside. It kind of looked manageable. No one knew I was running up debt, credit card debt. Um, I really did. I took jobs for the adventure factor, not really thinking about like my career. And, um, and then when it got much worse, it got very, very dark. And I went from being someone who had been very ambitious to someone who was waking up in an apartment in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, that I shared with a Craigslist guy I didn't know on my air mattress because I did not have a bed and like pretending to go to work because I was lying about having lost my job. And I was waking up and just feeling total panic every, just panic. How am I going to solve these problems? How am I going to stop getting lost on the train? <laughs> you know, um, really incapable and unemployable and drinking a 40 at 1130 in the morning because I needed one. I really, really needed one. And my phenomenon of craving was, <clears throat> you know, I called New York Intergroup because I had a, um, thank you time. Uh, you know, I had a terrible evening. I had a terrible night where, you know, on the outside it wasn't that bad, but for me on the inside it was. Um, I ran into that Craigslist roommate and he saw me and I saw the look in his eye and for a moment the like veil came away. Like I could see what he saw and I was ashamed of myself and I was Googling my, my, what I thought my symptoms were and AA kept coming up in my search results. And so I called in a group and a nice lady told me to go to a meeting and I said, no, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, I have to go on Monday. And uh, that is not recommended. Go immediately. <laughs> I spent the weekend drinking just as much as everyone else drank, which meant that my skin was on fire because I want more. And the night before I came back here, I didn't drink at all, but I didn't sleep either. I was just awake, willing myself to not go downstairs and have a drink. And um, I went to a job interview that Monday for an admin temp job. And then I hung around in the library and then I went to the evening meeting at Carlisle group on the East side. And I did not understand what people were saying. I did not know that my sweating was detoxing. Um, but, um, my life has been different ever since I've, been, I got the job. I've been working in that industry and I've been sober since that day. And we don't know when those days are when they happen and we don't know when they are, you know, three and five years later, but it kind of just dawned on me recently. Wow. <laughs> um, my, I met my sponsor right away and she took me through the steps, um, made amends, still making amends. Um, this week, I've paid my last credit card bill. Zero balance. Lorraine P. No credit card debt. Thanks. <laughs> um, I have my own apartment. Um, I, I work on a team with people. And, uh, and um, I face a lot less indecision 
you know um it's a lot calmer it's stressful but i'm um i'm not really kept up at night by it either you know and why is that and it's because i get to be you know i have a new employer today and that employer is my higher power like i wake up in the morning and um and i do meditation and i do journaling and i talk to a sponsor and i talk to sponsees and then i go about my business um i very rarely am scrolling the phone before i do those things and and then i get to have a life and have fun um i was just so driven by anxiety and fear before i came in and you know it's a work in progress right it's not done <laughs> but um <clears throat> you know at night i wash my face every night i take off my makeup and i wash my face and i go to bed in like clean sheets and that was not the story before this thank you time um i've been afforded a ton of of lovely you know opportunities i have a relationship with my family today when i used to hear people say that i'd be like ugh who cares gross and uh actually it's great it's hard and weird but great and i've gotten to travel abroad something i never thought i'd actually do but always wanted to do um i get to follow my dreams outside of the job and i actually do and i get so much support and so much love i don't do anything on my own you know um nothing at all like it's kind of miraculous what we have here and what a strength we all have here like during covid to have each other and um thank you that's my time thank you our second 10 minute speaker is lucas Hi, how are you? I'm Lucas and I'm an alcoholic. Hi. It's a real privilege to speak uh, at my home group. Um, uh, my sobriety date is March 7th, 2016. Um, I have a sponsor. His name is Terry F. And um, I have service commitments here. I, I want to thank the uh, chairs of the Wednesday and Sunday meeting and also our corrections chair for giving me the opportunity to have service, do service here means a lot and it means a lot to my sobriety it keeps me sober and um i um also you know to anybody that's new out there and, and, and at this meeting for the first time you know i mean i i started coming to this meeting last summer and i uh made this my home group around the end of last year but it's like it must be weird for people that maybe have been you know coming to virtual meetings for six months but i mean it, you know, this when this meeting actually meets in, a, in an actual space, it meets in a beautiful church, and you walk in, people greet you, and um, you know there's uh, you know there's a literature table, there's a corrections table. Uh, it's uh, you know, and I I always thought when I first came here, I always came to this meeting. I always said to myself, you know, when the door shut at this meeting, it's like the rest of the world disappears, and I really can't say that about a lot of other meetings or pretty much any other meeting. So. Uh, when we do get back to uh, seeing each other in person, um, 
And if you're new and you haven't experienced this meeting um, in person, you're going to really like it. Um, you know, and also if you are new, uh, you know, as a 10-minute speaker, um, I just hope anything I say, um, you know, just hope you find a part of what I say in your story. Um, I, um, I've, I'm going to be 50 next year. I got sober, like I just told you, about four and a half years ago. And um, so I didn't really understand alcoholism um, most of my life. I didn't really get it. I got, uh, I drank and did did drugs most you know up until i got married uh late uh, in my life for the second time um you know when i was about 38 or 39 and so i decided I couldn't do drugs if you're married uh it's kind of hard to do that around the second around your wife so i decided okay i'll just drink and um when that started to happen i i really underestimated the power of this of, of of alcohol and i had no idea what the what the problem of it is the problem of uh, the problem that it would it would that that basically it would it would develop and that would be that i would really want to drink all the time and also that i would think about it a lot and um that became something that my ex-wife actually told me before I even realized it. She said, this is something that is bigger than you, Lucas. And I would look at her and kind of say, what do you mean? She goes, it's, this is bigger than you. So she kind of understood the concept of, you know, a higher power before I did. And, um, you know, eventually uh, I, I, I ended up uh, coming to the meeting, coming into AA and um, relapsing, had a really bad relapse. Uh, and then my bottom, my, my bottom really got to the point where I missed, um, in, in the, in the, the fall of 2015, I missed, um, Christmas, I missed trick-or-treating with my daughter, missed Thanksgiving, missed Christmas, missed Christmas, missed New Year's. And my parents, my father, my stepfather, stepfather, my mother all showed up at my apartment and um, they they basically came in. They saw that I was, you know, just kind of a mess. And my mother, she didn't she didn't really know much about Brooklyn, but she just said, just take them to take them to Woodhull. And so I got driven. I always remember I got I was in my my head was in my mother's lap, and she drove me there because my ex-wife had had me kidnapped by police earlier in our marriage and taken there once before. And uh, that's another story for another time. Maybe we could talk about that if you, if you, during, during fellowship. Um, but we, uh, we, I got, when we went to Woodhull, um, the, they, they, they did my blood work and I said, you know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of out of hand in your system. How long have you been, why do you have so much? And I got, and I didn't really understand, um, that I just basically was doing that so I wouldn't be hung over. And they, they said, well, it looks like you've been trying to kill yourself. And I, go, and I said, no, I'm not. And they go, we don't believe you. And my mother kind of just said to me, well, we've got you. And I go, and, and she said to the doctors there, keep, don't let him out. And she looked at my ex-wife and she said, and, my, and uh, they basically looked at each other and said, yeah, don't let him out. And, uh, 
So the nurse kind of looked at me and was like, and, and in so many words, the nurse kind of looked at me and just said, listen, mommy and Renata Klein over there don't want you to leave the, don't want you to leave the hospital. So you're going to stay over here. And that, see that big guy over there with the hose? He's going to spray you down and you're going to go upstairs and stick around for a while. And so I basically was stuck at Woodhull. Uh, I left. And uh, shortly thereafter, I ended up, you know, just kind of getting my act together and uh, getting into uh, outpatient program. And, um, you know, I was, I went up, saw my, saw my parents and my stepdad looked at me once and he said, you know, you're still kind of drinking a little bit. What are you going to do? And uh, that question was pretty interesting because it was the first time the idea of like, uh, you know, this, this idea of action and not really knowing what actions I needed to take and not understanding those actions came to my mind. And I, and I, and I, we were at a movie theater and I wasn't able to laugh and I was really stressed about that. And, and the idea of having a daughter, not having a, not being able to under, understand how to handle my life came to me. And I went out, we were at a movie theater. I ran into the bathroom and I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, if I cannot laugh, then I don't want to live anymore. And I sat back down in my seat in the theater and I just decided, you know what? I don't want to drink. I don't know. Some people have different moments of spiritual awakening. That was mine. And, um, you know, it was a moment where I just had faith in a moment I didn't really understand or really get. And I just said, I need to take some action. I can't drink anymore. And uh, I went back home to Brooklyn and I decided to just start finding, I, I went to No Serenity of Brooklyn, a meeting that I used to go to. I found a sponsor and we started working the steps, you know, and, um, he, you know, he was kind of tough on me. He was kind of like this Tony Stark kind of sponsor. He was a little bit snarky, you know. He, used, I used to have anger issues. He used to say things to me like, you know, like, what's the matter, Periwinkle? You know, uh, you know, you seem a little bit angry there, big little eyes. You need to get pushed down the stairs a little bit. You know, you need a little bit of uh, motivation to your fourth step. You know, he used to get, he used to say things like that to me, and like kind of get get on, get under my skin. And I used to like get annoyed. And but he got he got me to understand that like two minutes. Have, he he. He got me to understand that my my emotions were going to crush my intellect, my my um, you know, by my these extra these extra like these these anger I had, all these instincts that I had that were kind of like beyond what um, I understood were not really working for me, and that I needed to like kind of get a hold of them and be aware of them. So I inevitably like took his advice. I started to be more aware of like my defects. I worked the steps and, um, and I, and I completed them. So, you know, what it looks like today for me is that I do service. Um, I, uh, you know, I got into doing service of corrections in Brooklyn. There's a ton of, you know, ton of good people to do service out there. I started to come back here, obviously. And like I said before, I can't thank, you know, the chairs of Sunday and, and Wednesday again, like I said earlier, for granting me the opportunity to do service. Um, and be a sponsor. And having said that, you know, the, due to the Sunday sponsorship commitment, I have two great sponsees, uh, and, you know, Anthony and Christian. I love you guys. Um, and, um, you know, and, and when you, and I want to say again, when you sponsor people, you give them an opportunity to sponsor, you know, other people. You teach them that what you're telling them, they got to teach other people. And One um, minute. Thanks, Deborah. And, um, you know, with with that, you know, I feel like today, I, you know, at this group, I've, I've, grant, I've been granted the opportunity to, you know, make new friends. And, you know, um, 
I have, I have a sober family here that I love, you know, Ron, Dick, and, you know, Ron's, Ron and Dick's sponsees and uh, Karen, people like that. So I really love it here at the Atlanta Group and all you new people. This is, if you're looking for a home group, this is a great place to start. So I want to thank all of you. Our main speaker tonight is Allison. Hey, everyone. I'm Allison, and I'm an alcoholic. Really hard not to hear you say hi back, but I see you waving, and I appreciate it. Timer. I'm starting my timer. I promise I'll keep it going. Um, hi, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Allison. I'm so nervous to be here, um, and whenever I'm nervous, I like to tell a story, which is, I don't know how many of you are familiar with LA meetings, but there's this big speaker meeting in LA called Sundowners, and a long time ago, I was asked to speak there. And I got up to talk, and the second I started, maybe I talked for three or four minutes, and then my mind went completely blank, like, like those nightmares about speaking. My mind went completely blank, and I just went and sat down. <laughs> I was supposed to talk for an hour, so I imagine nothing will be worse than that. Um, but I'm also really grateful to be here. When I was new, they told me that feeling nervous is the exact same physical feeling as being excited. So instead of saying I'm nervous to say, I'm excited, so I'm super excited to be here. Um, but there's like 377 people here, and my home group is maybe 10 people on a good night. <laughs> so um, it's just a different experience. But thank you so much, Rich, for asking me to speak. And Tom, thanks for suggesting me. This is so much fun. Um, I love Zoom meetings. It's it's awkward, of course, looking at the squares. If people aren't looking back at me, then I get distracted. Um, but I can't look at just myself because I'm so self-obsessed and I will start fixing my hair and crimping and doing all that. Um, so I appreciate the people that are actually looking at the screen. Thank you so much for that um, consideration. And um, I have a couple of friends here who have heard me a gazillion times and it makes me wanna cry every time because when I was drinking and a long time in my sobriety, I was not a good friend. So the fact that people show up for me really means a lot. So I really love you guys and thank you so much for being here. So I live in a town called Bend, Oregon so I'm on the other side of the country from you. It's a small town of maybe 80,000 people. And I moved here from Los Angeles about, about six years ago. And I was sober a long time, but I was not very happy, joyous, or free. So when I moved here, I decided I really needed to throw myself back into AA. And I started going to 90 meetings in 90 days, and I started searching for a sponsor. And what I wanted in a sponsor was someone who was happy, joyous, and free, because I wasn't. And I searched around, and I found her. Her name's Priscilla, she's sober 53 years and she got sober when she was 30 years old and she's 53 years sober and before the pandemic, she was still going to five meetings a week. I al You always knew where to find her. She always had a smile on her face. She still practices the principles of AA and works the steps. And I decided I, I need to work with this lady. So I asked her to be my sponsor. I was so nervous. And when I asked her, she said, oh shoot. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean, oh shoot? And she said, I'm just so old and I'm so tired. <laughs> but I knew intuitively from the moment that we met that we were going to work together. So yes, I would love to be your sponsor. But you have to be willing to do a couple things for me. And she asked if I was willing to work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous again. And I said I was. And then she asked me if I would call her every single morning. And I thought the lady was out of her mind. I thought there's no way I'm calling you every day. I'm sober a long time. How do you dare you even ask me to call you every day? I don't recall reading anywhere that I have to call you every day. I'm not a newcomer. Like, who do you think you are asking me to call you every day? I probably made a big mistake asking this woman to be my sponsor. But what came out of my mouth was yes. 
And the reason I said yes is because you guys in AA taught me that AA is a program of action and I don't have to want to do something to take the action and I don't have to feel like doing this, something to take the action. I just have to take the action. <sighs> so I said yes to her. Um, conversely, you know, before I came to AA, well, and in my sobriety, I thought that if I felt like doing something, I had to do it. So if I broke up with a boyfriend and I felt like eating 10 cheeseburgers and a whole pizza, I thought I had to do it and I would do it. Or if I, before um, I came to AA, obviously before the first drink, if I had the thought to drink, I had to drink. If I wanted to sleep with your boyfriend, I had to sleep with your boyfriend. I didn't know that I could have a thought and not act on it. And I didn't know that I didn't have to feel something to do it. And so I started calling Priscilla every single day at 7.15 a.m. And she said she wanted me to call her every morning with a gratitude list. And that the first thing on my gratitude list has to be sobriety every single day. She said, as long as I put AA first and God first, everything in my life will fall into place. And she promised if I put AA first that I would again feel happy, joyous, and free in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that a beautiful world would build all around me. So I called her every morning with that list. She asked me to write the list as a letter to God. So instead of just a list of things I was grateful for, to say, thank you, God, for my sobriety. Thank you for clean air that I'm breathing today. Thank you for my dog, because she said I have to give credit to God because my alcoholic ego is so big <laughs> that I just can't afford to try and take credit for everything in my life. And so Priscilla and I started working together. We met every Thursday after our women's meeting. I have to change the screen. Okay, we met every Thursday after our women's meeting and uh, and we started going through the book together. And every time I wanted to tell her, I already know that, I know that, I already know that, I know that, I already know that, I just bit my tongue and I just listened to her and I learned from her. Because my ego is what gets me into trouble. So I just shut up and I learned from her and I did what she suggested and my life got a whole lot better. And so that's a, that's my sponsor, Priscilla. I, so I mentioned I moved here six years ago from LA where I was born and raised. And I had my first drink when I was about 10 or 11 with a group of kids and a bottle went around the room and I don't remember if it really changed how I felt. But what happened was I went home by myself, raided my mom's liquor cabinet and I started drinking alone from that very first drink. And I didn't know until years later that that meant that I had developed the phenomenon of craving, like they talk about in the doctor's opinion for my very first drink, and I was alcoholic right from that point. And I changed. <laughs> I changed immediately. I was not one of those people that had fun drinking. I wasn't a friendly drunk. I didn't party. Drinking was dark for me. It was something I almost always did alone, and it became a necessity from the very beginning. And my personality changed. I mean, I was kind of a sweet kid, but not after I started drinking. I became a wannabe tough gangster <laughs> and fighting. Um, you know, my parents had gotten divorced and I was molested by my stepdad and that's not why I'm an alcoholic, but I definitely used those excuses to drink and it definitely explained a lot of my alcoholic behaviors and I completely shut down. And I learned, you know, I wanted connection with people, but I kept everyone at a distance, like stay away from me. And I used tough talk and I used sarcasm to keep people away from me. And it got really bad. I mean, it got really bad. By the time I was 13 years old, I had my first moment of clarity. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt when I was 13 years old that I was an alcoholic. I was walking across the street um, to meet this 26 year old pedophile um, that used to get me what I needed. 
and I was going to see him and I thought, I'm an alcoholic. And it was as clear as day, you guys, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I was an alcoholic. And my next thought right after that was, you cannot be an alcoholic, you're only 13 years old. And then my thought immediately following that is probably the funniest thing I'll say all night, which is my next thought was, but if you wanna quit, you can quit anytime you want to anyway, as if I had some kind of control over my alcoholism and my drinking. Oh my gosh, I wanna thank the first speakers, by the way, I see you guys and you're awesome. And I all, and I loved how you talked about your sheets. Um, so thank you guys so much. I'm so sorry I spaced on that, um, but I really do appreciate your shares. So I had that moment of clarity. Um, and then it was gone just like that, you know, and I had so many moments of clarity in my drinking. And by the time I was 14 years old, my mom had to move us out of LA because I was getting into so much trouble. And we moved to a town called Pleasanton, California, which is exactly how it sounds. It's very nice and very pleasant. Um, and my drinking got worse because my mom thought we could get away from the problem, but I was the problem, you know, and I started drinking every single day and it got really dark. And I started making promises to myself that I wasn't going to drink. And I continuously broke those promises. I had this really big problem, which I now think is a gift, which is that I had a head full of AA and a belly full of booze before I ever had a drink because my mom and my dad met in AA. <laughs> so my dad is sober a year longer than I'm alive. My mom's no longer sober and I don't know if she's an alcoholic or not. It's not my business. Um, but so I always knew about AA. And I would go to AA meetings with my dad my whole life. He would take me to, um, in West Hollywood, there's a meeting called the Log Cabin. And so he would take me there in the mornings when I'd visit him. And I met all these wonderful people in AA. And I never forgot those people. Uh, it didn't mean I necessarily wanted to go to AA. <laughs> and it definitely messed with my drinking. But now I see what a gift that was from God. One time when I was drunk, I tried to work the steps. I thought, I knew I had to get sober. And I thought, well, maybe if I just work the steps without, I don't have to go to AA. So I was drunk and I stole my mom's big book and I just started reading it thinking I could work the steps and guess what? That didn't work. Um, and one, and I just kept having those moments of clarity again. One day I was drinking in the locker room before school and it was disgusting. I would mix wine and diet Coke together so I could hide it from the teachers. And I poured it down the toilet and I started crying. And then I had that moment of clarity again. People probably don't cry over running out of wine, but I was crying over running out of wine and I knew I had to quit drinking. And again, I would say, okay, this weekend, I'm not going to drink. And then someone would come over with beer and I would drink. And it was constantly, I was constantly breaking promises to myself constantly. Uh, and life was disgusting. You know, I was, I remember right at the end, I was at a party and I was crawling around on the floor, like, you know, like we do. And someone looked at me and he said, you're disgusting and you're repulsive. And I knew he was right. And I decided I was going to get sober after partying for a few more weeks. <laughs> and God had other plans for me. So let me check my time. God had other plans for me. I am. Um, this is my bottom. My mom wouldn't let me watch TV. And my solution to that was I was going to run away to San Francisco to become a prostitute and show her. My solutions don't always match the level of the problem. So I packed my bag and I was walking down the street and oh, God gave me another one of those moment of clarity, moments of clarity, but this time I was able to do something with it. And I went over to the payphone. This was April 13th, 1991. So we didn't have cell phones back then. And I picked up the, the payphone and I knew exactly who to call. It was Alcoholics Anonymous. 
I called you guys and a woman answered the phone and she said, I'm going to pray for you. And I thought that was the nicest thing I'd ever heard. And it reminded me of all the people I met at the log cabin with my dad. And I thought about all those people who every time I would show up at the meeting with my dad, they remembered my name. They remembered what we talked about. We would all go to coffee or breakfast after the meeting and they would talk about problems, but then they had amazing solutions. And I thought, okay, like, you know, I can do this. And, and I walked into a clubhouse in Pleasanton, California called the Tri-Valley Fellowship. And God gave me my very first gift of AA. There were two 18 year old girls sitting right at the coffee bar. And at that time in 1991 in a small town, there were not a, a lot of young people sober. And I was 15 years old and those girls were 18 years old and they took me under their wing. They used to pick me up at school at lunch and take me to meetings. And then they would take me to a 5 p.m. meeting and a 7 p.m. meeting. They didn't care that I was too afraid to talk. I walked around like this. I was so nervous and uncomfortable in my own skin. They had me get a coffee commitment. So I learned how to show up. I learned how to engage with people. I think I was even treasurer to do. So I learned how to be responsible with the money. And those girls took care of me. And what a gift. You know, one of them I saw on Facebook recently, she is just out of her 26th rehab, which means that she's been going in and out of rehab this entire time. And I don't know how I got this gift of sobriety when she was so important to me and, and she still doesn't have it, but um, I'm so grateful for her. I knew I had to get a sponsor. So I, I thought everyone in AA worked the steps. No one ever relapsed. And um, everyone knew who my dad was <laughs> when I was new. And so I asked a woman to be my sponsor and she scribbled her number on a piece of paper and kind of threw it at me and, I, and it felt really awful. Like, so I decided I would never do that to anyone. And then I asked another woman to be my sponsor and she agreed. And she said, we were gonna meet. She got out a big book and she opened it to the blank front cover and she said, this is what you know about staying sober. And we're gonna go through the rest of this big book and it's gonna teach you how to stay sober. That's the point of this book. And we went through the book, I'm not kidding you, word by word. And I had highlighters and pens and she explained everything to me and we did the actions as we got to them. She did point out to me in the 10 steps, um, I'm not good at quoting the big book, but the part where it says we'd recoil from liquor as if it were a hot flame. And I didn't believe her. I knew AA works, right? Cause I saw it. My dad's sober a year longer than I'm alive. And my stepmom, my dad met my stepmom at her first meeting and she's sober a year longer than my brother's alive. I knew AA worked, but I didn't know if it would work for me. And a few weeks later, I went to a party. I was 15 years old. Um, it didn't occur to me maybe not to go to parties where alcohol was being served when I was only a couple weeks sober, but I went and someone was drinking a beer and I asked him for a sip. And right as it got to my mouth, God gave me another moment and I handed the guy his beer back and I said, sorry, I forgot that I'm sober. And I recoiled from the liquor. Like, are you kidding me? I never was able to do that. I was always promising myself I wouldn't drink and I was always drinking. So I was like, oh, this is pretty awesome. <laughs> so we continued, uh, we continued working the steps. I got my first little AA boyfriend. Uh, this is so sad too. I just saw on Facebook too. He has not been sober this entire time either. And he's in prison now for murder. But, and he was, bless his heart, like bless that guy. Um, but I used to follow that guy around to AA meetings and AA dances. And I'm so grateful for that relationship. I'm so grateful for that. It didn't occur to me until years later that he wasn't actually sober and he was also homeless. <laughs> he smoked pretty bad, but we had, um, he kept me sober 
following him around to meetings. And when we broke up, I wanted to drink. And I went to the clubhouse. Um, we had a late night meeting, maybe at 10 or midnight. And I told someone, you know what? I need to drink. I'm 15 years old. I can't be an alcoholic at 15 years old. That's too young. And he said, well, if you don't think you're an alcoholic, why don't you try some, try some controlled drinking? And he called me on my bluff and I thought about it and I didn't really want to be called on my bluff and I didn't really want to drink. And I said, well, I would drink, but you know, I'm not 21. I can't buy alcohol. And he said, I'll buy it for you. So like I had every opportunity to drink if I had wanted to. And I'm so glad he called me out in that way because I realized how hard it was for me to get that 90 days. And I never wanted to give that up. I had worked so hard for that and it was so difficult. You know, my sponsor Priscilla, when she was getting sober, she talked it's about literally looking at the clock on the wall and watching every minute pass and saying, okay, I stayed sober another minute. Okay, I stayed sober another minute. And I remember physically like sitting on my hands or grabbing the steering wheel. Well, this was a couple of years later when I went to drink, but like doing anything I could to just not drink. And there's no way I was gonna give up that time. And even years later in my sobriety, when I thought about drinking, a lot of it was just not wanting to give up my time. And I don't care if that's my ego or what, like it kept me sober, you know? So um, I'm so grateful for that moment, um, that night when he offered that. So um, I graduated high school. I didn't want to, but all the guys in AA, the old guy, old timer said, you know what, we didn't get to graduate because we were drinking, so will you graduate for us? And so I did, and I went, I didn't go to my prom. I went to an AA dance instead. I didn't have a lot of friends in high school because I thought it was because they drank but the truth is it's because I was really arrogant and I thought I was better than them because I was sober. Like all of a sudden I'm sober and I'm above you. So I alienated a lot of people with that attitude. And, um, and by this time I had a driver's license. So I started going to young people's meetings in cities like Berkeley and Oakland and the San Francisco Bay area. And there were so many young people and we were all obsessed with AA. We read all the literature we could. We would talk about AA literature like they were movies or TV shows. It was all we talked about. And then we would go to coffee all night and stay up all night and have fellowship. And it was so much fun. I switched sponsors and I got a sponsor named Tracy who worked at, did the phone lines on central, at central office on Fridays. So we would do the phone lines together. And um, it, that was when I was introduced to the 12 and 12 and the last sentence in the eight steps said it would be the beginning to the end of isolation from our fellows and from God. And that's what I always wanted was to be connected to people. And AA promised me that, and I was getting that. Um, and then I met my higher power. His name was Alan. And we, I knew on our third date, intuitively I knew on our third date that he was not the one for me. So we were together for 10 years. <laughs> and, and during that time, I mean, Alan, look, I was like 19. He drove a Camaro. He would do donuts outside the AA coffee house. Like, that was Alan. And, um, and he cheated on me all the time. And I loved the drama. I lived for the drama. I would walk into AA meetings and fall on the floor with, you know, like this. And I love the attention and the drama of it all. And, but it was getting really bad. And so I decided to move back to LA and he followed me. And when I first got back to LA, for me, it was really hard to be sober in a big city, even though I knew people there. And I felt like I, was kind of getting lost in the crowd. So I make sure I made sure to get a lot of commitments. So I felt like I had a purpose and I belonged at the meetings, but I never found a sponsor I really connected with. And 
slowly I started drifting away from AA. Priscilla says when anyone relapsed, go up and ask them what happened. Um, and unless it, sometimes it's a surgery, but more often than not, the first thing they say is they stop going to meetings. And that's what happened to me. I didn't relapse, but I stopped going to meetings as regularly. And I wasn't as connected to AA as much. I would go to meetings sometimes, but I had to have a friend come with me because I was feeling so uncomfortable. And AA was my home for so long, but um, I just started drifting away and my disease was kind of taking over. Yeah, I was gambling every night. I was going to bars every night. I was behaving like a drinking person, but I hadn't had a drink. And I got really, really dry and I was sober for a really long time. And it got to the point where I wanted to die. I used to pray to God that I could just die. I was in so much pain. And what's funny is my friend Matt's here. Thanks for coming, Matt. Um, and he talks about this too. It's like, I know the I knew the solution was AA. I knew the solution was God. And I knew the solution was the steps. But instead I was going to bars, dancing, gambling, shopping, eating cake and doing inappropriate behavior. You know, like the alcoholism was just winning. And um, one night, a bunch of people who were sober a long time that were doing the same stuff with me all decided to drink. This is not the norm if you're new to AA, this is just my story. This is what happens when you don't work the steps. A bunch of people decided to drink, we were at a bar and um, they asked me to drink with them and I had a decision to make, go towards the drink or go towards AA. And every decision in life is that, but I decided to go towards AA. And um, long story short, my boyfriend died. I decided to go to therapy. And when I was in therapy, I realized I hadn't been practicing the principles or the steps of AA. So I asked her if I could write a four step and if she would listen to my inventory and she said yes. And so I did an inventory um, I did four, five, six, six, and seven with her. And a few weeks later, my brother was getting married up in Bend, Oregon, where I live now. And I went up to, I came up to the wedding and I was miserable and depressed. And I knew my life sucked and I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be in love like my brother. I wanted a career that I liked. I worked in sales and all I did was manipulate people all the time, which is, was not good for my soul. And um, after that wedding, I completely surrendered to God. And I went outside and I closed my eyes and I said, God, please help me. I understand that sobriety is enough. If that's all I ever have in my life, thank you. That is enough. But please, if you could show me some opportunities, I promise I will say yes to every single, every single thing you say. Just please, please, please give me opportunities. I don't know what to do with my life. You guys, five minutes later, my phone rang and it was my friend, Danny boy who I never talked to. And he asked me if I wanted to be on a podcast with him, which I've never done anything like that. And I didn't really necessarily want to do it, but I just made a deal with God that I would say yes to every opportunity that was in front of me. So I said, yes. And we started doing the podcast through that podcast. I met a man who actually lives in Brooklyn, who became my first client for the business I have now. And I'm doing exactly what I always dreamed of and love doing. And then a few months later, I was up here in Oregon visiting my family and my sister-in-law said, are you ready to move to Oregon? Listen, I was not ready <laughs> to move to Oregon, but I made a deal with God that I would say yes to every single opportunity and every open door. You cannot go back. Well, you can maybe, but I cannot go back on a deal with God. So I said yes. And a few months later, I was up here living in Oregon and that's where I met Priscilla. And I started working the steps again with her and calling her every morning at 7.15 and 
making AA the number one priority in my life. And all I ever wanted was to not drink and be happy, joyous, and free. And now I have those things, you know, and it's just such a gift. My, my dad's sober a long time. And he, I really like the way he talks about the third step. I have six minutes left timer. Um, I love the way he talks about the third step. He says, you know, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to care of God a really, really long time ago. And that decision is like cutting my arm off. I don't get to take it back. I made the decision. It's totally done. I just forget I made that decision sometimes. So I just have to remind myself. And that's why every morning I have to write my gratitude list. I read my daily readers. Um, I do things from other things I'm involved with. I pray and I meditate and I try. It's really hard, but upon awakening, like that moment, my friend Lewis talks about this, the moment my eyes are still closed, but almost open upon awakening, trying to have my third first thought be about God. Just try and start the day on that positive note. Do I do that every day? Absolutely not. I'm human. But I, I really, really, really try to do that and keep God and AA the center of my life. Um, and today, you know, when the shutdowns first started, I lost that client in Brooklyn I told you about because it's um, travel-based. And um, I was financially afraid for a couple hours. And then I realized that I wasn't going to be getting high-maintenance emails every five minutes from this client. And I thought, oh, there's the gift in that. Like God is taking care of me. Um, a year, about a year and a half ago, I started dating a guy that in AA that is so nice. And I never used to date nice guys. He was so nice. And we started dating and I kept trying not to date him. And God just kept making it so clear that we were supposed to be together. One day I actually said out loud, okay, God, I get it. And I surrendered to this relationship and I'm in it and I am so happy now. And we just got engaged a few months ago. So we're getting married. Yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? And then, <laughs> and I'm open in the relationship and we don't cheat on each other and I don't do this. And he is, he was a single dad of an eight year old son and I never got to have kids. Um, and the reason I never had kids is cause I was shut off and then now I'm pretty old. So, um, now I get to raise this eight year old. And I, and I homeschool him and I work from home and I have this family I always dreamed of. And really it's because of you guys, you taught me how to not drink one day at a time. You taught me how to practice principles. You taught me that I can, life can get down and I don't have to drink. Cause when I was new, you said we don't drink or use no matter what period, no matter what period. And when times are tough, we live one day at a time. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to be sober. It was super fun to come to a meeting in New York. And that's all. Thank you so much.